So last week we started chapter 2, uh, and we looked at what Paul characterized the Christian life in, in three, I guess you could say, occupations. Uh, so first he was talking about uh, our life as a soldier, right? We're to be driven on mission, in allegiance with Jesus, following him, not distracted, so we miss out on what's going on before us, right? Willing to suffer for something greater than ourselves, of course, Paul understands this because he's uh, speaking from a place of suffering. Paul is on death row. We'll get into that a little bit more. But this is his very last letter he's going to write. And so he understands this well. But he's, he's encouraging Timothy and in doing so, passing that on from Timothy to others, which is the natural progression God wants to see in us, which is we are discipled to disciple, right? This, we, we bring this up. We Just like you have parents then you, if you have them, children, naturally, you become parents. And then you become grandparents, and that's just, you know, kind of keep on going, right? And so we're, as we're growing in Christ, we are discipled, we are discipling. We're continuing to be discipled. We are continually discipling. As I grow, I pass that on to the next generation, right? So uh, Paul is sharing this with Timothy. Timothy would then share it with others. We now are given this beautiful letter, this pastoral letter, pastoral epistle, for us to read now and be reminded. A soldier is, is the first way we look at our Christian life. And I think this is probably one of the least understood way right now. We've kind of gone the way of Jesus is my homeboy. He's cool with everything. Um, like, as long as I don't have to change my life, then I am down to be a Christian. And, and, and Jesus is like, oh no, I'm, I'm coming to completely transform your life. I want it all. And not only am I going to transform, like, I'm going to take all of it and I'm going to make it so much better. But the process is going to be wild. And so we're soldiers following him, again, in allegiance. I, 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 I'm aligned with the gospel. My life lines up with it. I'm not off on the side. I'm not over here. Alignment is really important. Just ask our chiropractic members of our church, right? Alignment is very important. So then uh, he says that we're to be like athletes, disciplining ourselves, training to win, knowing the rules and striving. We want to have a victory. We want to, we don't do this lightly. We, we challenge ourselves. Uh, I love competition. I love athletics. I, I'm into it. Uh, I want to win our softball games. I want to be a, uh, a witness more, but I also want to win. I, and I think that's important. Even if we talk about youth camp, our, our team got second place, and we were the youngest group, and we had one of the smallest groups, and we were battling to win. And when we were watching the videos afterwards, you know, these beautiful, awesome videos, are like, yeah, all the youth kids are like, this is amazing. Our kids were just angry because they're just like, we should have won. And I remember one of the messages at camp, it's a great message, but he's like, you know what, we're all in competition, but we're together, guys, so let's not do that. I was like, yes, but we're also here to win. Strive to win. Not at the point of being a jerk and breaking unity. But there's something about having that, I think, that's not all bad, right? So we, we kind of, like, neutered all of society to go, you, everyone gets the same trophy, the same size. Everyone's in first place. We don't keep score. Now, let me tell you something. Someone is always keeping score. 
right? Because they're always looking at it from that aspect. And the reason you do that is you're striving to win. Of course, if this is all you care about, no. But we want to do this as in following Jesus, we are fighting, not as one who beats the air. We discipline our body to win the prize. Okay? And uh, I'm not... I'm not saying we shouldn't be like crazy and, and only think about winning because I think that becomes a god and an idol and that's not it. But I think there is something in the fact that we are to strive and to train and to discipline ourselves for good results. Then what does he say? A farmer. He talks about a farmer, which is, he says, a hard worker. There's no such thing as a non-hardworking farmer. They're no longer farmers, right? They're probably social media influencers, uh, <laughs> We moved out here, we're going to do a farm, and you're like, cool, good luck with that, you know, with your farm. Um, you're like, do you know how hard this is? I, anyway, um, grow your own food, it is a good thing. But farmer is a hard worker who will reap, he will eventually reap in season. So you continue to work even though you don't see results, and in season you will reap what you've sown, and so that's what we are. As Christians, we're to be uh, dedicated to the cause not looking to the left, to the right, disciplining ourselves with the goal of a prize, and then we work really hard, even when it seems like nothing is happening. So that was verses 1 through 7, which you're like, are you sure that's not the end of the message? I know, it's kind of a lot. Recap. But now we go into this. Remember, verse 8, that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Remember. Remember, this is something that was very common uh, in the Old Testament. There was like this constant sense of remembering. We talked about this with uh, Mother's Day, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Shema, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, you guys know Deuteronomy was like Jesus' most quoted book. Isn't that interesting? Um, so you're like, I'm just going to skip through. Deuteronomy is sick, okay? I understand Leviticus and Numbers gets pretty intense, uh, but, you know. You shall teach them, and these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is this speaking to? Remember. Constantly bring back to your memory all the things the Lord has done, all the things the Lord has commanded. This is how we align our lives, is to constantly be reminded of who we are, where we've come from, where we're going. Remember, remember, remember. Right? And then it continues on. Same, same chapter in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. The, re the Passover remembrance. Uh, why? Do you remember why? This is the why the Passover happened. And it also has the promise of what is to come. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. 
And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, uh, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Uh, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So this is faithfulness and, and continuing in faith in believing what God has already done and reminding ourselves of what he's doing now. So it's important to why is it, so the son said, why, why do we do what we do? This is why. Over and over and over and over again. And we understand repetition. We do this with our kids all the time. We say the same thing over and over and over and over again. Remind them, remind them, remind them. This is what we need to do for our children and also for ourselves. We must constantly be reminded of what God has done and what he's doing. It's continued on in, uh, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, referencing Jesus, uh, Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 22. With what? The Lord's Supper, communion. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he betrayed, took, was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant. Uh, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this is something we are now to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. When you eat, you do this to remember. Why? Why do we need to be reminded all the time? Because we, we leak and we think that all of a sudden, I was saved by the blood of Jesus, but now I'm the solution. Or I can figure it out on my own. He's like, no, constantly come back to this place. You're going to have to do it over and over again to remember that it's the body and it's the blood broken and, 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 uh, and bled, bled out for you. Sacrifice for you. For your sins. So we got to be reminded of this. Because it's so easy for us to forget. What's the other thing, the other sacrament that he said? Well, we're going to be doing it in two weeks in the baptism. That's something that believers are supposed to partake in. Why? Because it shows us, it's a, a picture of what we're doing. That we're like done with the old and we're, we're up, raised up in a new transformative life. And there's something about that, right? And so we do these things to remind ourselves. It's communion, again and again. Let me come back to the place of grace. Of course, you can receive forgiveness anywhere you're at, as long as you bring it before the Lord. But this is a reminder of, man, there was a real serious price paid for, for my sins. And Jesus paid it. Let us remember this. And then we do baptism. We go and we show up. We're reminded that we were washed and cleansed and then brought up new. For those who have been baptized, it's, it's amazing. For those who have been baptized before, it's a reminder. We are reminded of what has been done for us and now who we are, understanding our identity. We are now raised with Christ. So Jesus is, uh, we're, we're to remember, okay, sorry. Then, so verse, oh, I'm sorry, this is it again. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead 
according to the gospel. So we know the importance of remembering, right? Kind of cover that, Old Testament, New Testament. What are we supposed to remember? That Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the line of David is come. Right? This is what everyone was looking forward to, the long-awaited Messiah of the line of David. This deals with the prophetic fulfillment of Christ's birth. No one can, uh, you, you know, you guys might give an amen on this, you might not, I will be judging you not either way, but you cannot help the family you were born into, right? That is not your fault, okay? The family you were born into, that is not something that you have any control over, right? And so Jesus did not have any control over which family he would be born into, but he was born of the Davidic line. So David, there was a covenant made with David. There's multiple different covenants all throughout the Old Testament where God makes promises that, are, that all point to the coming Messiah will be the fulfillment and the embodiment of all these promises that he's made. The Davidic covenant what dealt in line with, with what? What was David? What was his profession? King. King David. Right? So David was this good king, anointed by God, and he did some really good stuff. He did some not-so-good stuff, because he was a man. But one of the things we, we saw is that David was a king, but there would be another king coming from his line. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13. When your days are complete, you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's a descendant coming after him. There's the, the line to the Messiah that's going to build a king, a king with a kingdom. Jesus came and was the king, and he brought forth his kingdom. Now, it's important to know, it was extremely different than anything they were hoping it would be. And it was it's so much better. Jesus came and he brought his king and then the kingdom. Now, his prayer, the model prayer, is that on earth as it is in heaven, that we would now bring kingdom in. The kingdom of heaven values, the kingdom of, of heaven power, the kingdom of heaven living into the world we're living in now. It's a battle between light and darkness. And we're ambassadors, again, of that, outposts of that for him. So Jesus is the fulfillment of how he was going to be born in the land of David. That's not something he could control at all. So he was the long way for a prophesied descendant of David. The one, and then it's the one who could defeat death, right? Who was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He defeated death. There's, there's, there's so much more to what Jesus did. But these two factors are huge. You can't control the line you're born in. That speaks to the whole prophetic element of it. And then he, he made a display of death by conquering, defeating, and rising again from the dead. Who could rise from the dead? So Paul uses this multiple times when he, he explains the gospel in a sense in a nutshell, who Jesus is in a nutshell. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1, called to be an apostle, separated the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born, here it is, of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be son of God, with power, 
according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name among, uh, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Again, shows exactly how, man, this, we need to wrap our minds around this. The prophetic element, Jesus was the fulfillment of, of the line of David, and then he conquered sin and death, made a spectacle of, by his power. So he had the right lineage, and he had the power to prove he's the Messiah, the Christ. So, and then 1 first, first Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then if Christ is still dead, then we have no hope. And that's really important for us to remember. We have no hope Jesus isn't risen from the dead. This is not a social club. This is not something where we just kind of try to act nice. We are uh, radically transformed by the blood of Jesus, and, and we have all of our hope in the fact that a man died and then he rose again. That he was literally raised up again, and then we experience that for ourselves. So the power of God, the good and true message of the gospel. This is the gospel. He says, my gospel, because he's owning it. But we know Paul's not giving a separate gospel. He says oh, again and again, I'm giving you the gospel I've received. But he owns it because it's, it's true to him. Verse 9. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, for the word of God is not chained. Paul is suffering trouble for the gospel. That's an understatement, okay? Um, what had just happened before this was Rome burned. Um, and there's a lot of speculation on how that exactly happened. Rumor has it Nero himself burned Rome. Uh, and then blamed it on the Christians. Uh, there's... Some people say it didn't happen, that Nero didn't burn it. Uh, some, there's even rumors that he played the fiddle while Rome burned, which is you know, kind of interesting view, I don't know. But one thing we definitely know, whether he did or he didn't burn Rome, he definitely used it to his advantage. He used the chaos to his advantage to gain more control while blaming the fire on the Christians. Sounds kind of familiar. Anyway, um, he used this as a means to control. And so Paul was now one of the public enemy number one. He's like one of the most prominent Christians that there is. And so uh, Nero is like, the Christians are responsible. They are the big problem in the world. So not only do that, he also didn't like the way Rome was built. He wanted to completely rebuild it. He wanted to change everything. It's fun. History is so fun. Just like we just keep doing the same stuff. So he, he burned the whole thing down, or allowed it, or was happy about it, at the very least. And then blamed who he wanted to blame, and then tried to rebuild it in a whole new way. And so Christians were the ones on the block. Paul was suffering like a criminal. Okay? The, the word evildoer, it's, it's criminal. Like he, could, he was looked at like a murderer. I mean, imagine if you're, if you're put out as an arsonist, I'm sure people died in that fire. We know that, right? So you, if you guys did this, and then all it takes is a little bit of mob to, you know, rile it up, and they go after the Christians. But why were they going after the Christians? I'll tell you why. Because there was power in what God was doing, and they were trying to stop it. So they're trying to 
to quench it and squelch it anyway. So Paul was suffering like a criminal for the sake of the gospel. He was in chains again, but we're reminded, and this is the good news, the word of God was not chained. So here's three ways the word is not chained or is greater than chains. Number one, Paul wrote from prison many of the letters we read today. So that the word is not chained. In fact, that Paul's sitting there, he's like, okay, uh, I all of a sudden have a bunch of time on my hands uh, and nowhere to go. So what did he do? He wrote multiple letters, including letters on joy written from prison. Many letters written from jail. So the gospel is, uh, Paul's in chains, but the, the word is not in chains, right? Second, freedom is not found in our external position, but our heart. So there's people who are more free who are in prison than walking around here. So just that's the way we think. We think of everything only in, in external situations. We think, uh, I'm free because I've got this and I've got that, and I don't have this and I don't have that, and no one's saying this to me and no one's saying that to me. But when we see the biblical picture of freedom, is not necessarily where you are, but where your heart is. We can be so enchained and so, uh, you know, bound up by our desires, by our passions, by our lusts. All of these things they, that, like, literally chain us so much more than being physically chained. And so that's why we have a hard time understanding, like, Paul, how, how could people choose to be a bondservant? Why would they choose to put themselves... Uh, in these positions, you know, how can I follow Jesus? I feel like then I would be not free anymore. Like you'd be the most free you've ever been because you think freedom is about doing whatever you want, and it's not. That's not freedom. That's just that's being allowed to go into bondage in a sense, right? Jesus wants us to be able to have opportunities, and I think to to make our own decisions. I absolutely believe that. I think that's what's so tragic about. The whole story of humanity is that there's some that, that choose Jesus and some that choose to reject Jesus. And that's part of it, right? We, we know this to be the case. Willingly choose to go against it. But freedom is so much more than our out, outward appearance, our outward situation that we're in, which is really good news. Because you can be in prison, like I said, physically, or you're in jail or in prison or whatever. You could be even in a sense in slavery in one way or another and be free in Christ. You could be enslaved by a body that does not work like it should and be free in Jesus. You're not, we're not, it's not about what's on the outside. Does that affect us? Oh my gosh, it does affect us, definitely. But there's freedom that is still to be found on, on the inner man, through the inner man. So Paul is in chain, but at the same time, he's, 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 he's free to speak the good, good news of the gospel because he is not owned. Remember that Acts, when, uh, Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are being threatened, and they're like, we're just going to follow Jesus. You can try to confront us, you can try to make us whatever, and, and in, so, in doing so, they show their true freedom. I'm not worried about what you're going to do to me. I'm free from the way, from the, the, the world's system, the world's, uh, you know, sway, the world's power following Jesus. I don't have to worry about what you think about me. That's a big deal too, right? If 
Everybody's so caught up in identity of who we are. What are we? Who are we? What are people going to think of me if I do this or if I do that? You know, everyone's had to deal with that. Paul had to deal with that. But to him, he saw Jesus. There was, there was no longer any debate about it. I am now in Christ. And so in, in, in that, he becomes free from people's expectations around him that are not godly. It's like, I, you know, whatever. If you choose to reject, I'm just speaking the truth, the good news of the gospel. So Paul wrote from prison, so we know that the, the gospel or the word was not in chains. Uh, freedom is not just found in our external position, but it's our heart. Our heart is enchained by sin. Um, and when we're free, we're freer than anybody else around us, no matter how they're living their life. And then verse, uh, and then the third one is the word, the logos, namely message of the gospel is more powerful than we imagine. So it is, it is not affected by what's going on around us, the actual word of God. So as this is what we got to remember as ministers of the gospel, not just me as like a pastor, but all of us as ministers of the gospel, because that's your call as a disciple of Jesus, is to know him and to make him known to the world. As we not just figure out, how do I make this fit? No, you just give it. The power is already there. With the power of the gospel is so much more powerful than we could imagine. It is not Chained, and so even with social pressures, even with all these, you know, people kind of like we're done, we're post-Christian, we're past all this, we're not doing this anymore. It doesn't change the fact that this is the power of God. So we're not going to be ashamed of the good news of the gospel. It is not in chain. This is the power. This is the real transformation. I think uh, that's one of Paul's greatest attributes was his ability to never forget where he came from which made him able to see the power of the gospel at work in his own life and then in the lives of those around, around him. He was convinced there was no greater power than what God was doing through the work of the gospel by giving out the word. Just give people the truth. You know, we can, we can move people by speaking, right? And I think that's part of the job of a pastor is to be a teacher, also a preacher. To give, there's supposed to be you're supposed to be moved by it. I, I don't. I have a hard time if I were to give a message on something I, I am not physically moved by. I have a hard time with that. So it's like I have to sit there until I'm like physically moved by it in a sense because it means you get it. So there's some passion that forms in it, right? Otherwise, it's just like I don't know. Some people said this is good. I don't know. And you're like, cool. I'm totally so going to do that. It's got to be owned. And how do you own it? By experiencing it for yourself, right? Uh, and so that can move people and motivate people. And I think there's, in a sense, there's a good part about that. But you can never change people. You can't change people. You can bring them to the table, but they've got to eat of it for themselves. And how do we do that? That the Word of God is what really impacts people and drives that point home. So you can get really, really exhausted trying to be all things to all men to the extreme, which I think we're supposed to do to some extent. But at the end of the day, it's the power of the gospel that changes lives. And so we think, how do I make this? No one wants to hear the message of, of the cross. Uh, no one wants to hear about Jesus. No one wants to hear this. You're like, yes, they do. Every movie's like about this stuff. They, they want to hear about this. They just don't know they want to hear about this. Not only that, but God has put it in their hearts. 
There's like a part in there that is longing for this. But if we're so good at masking it and making it like, well, I don't want to be offensive, so I'm going to try and like, kind of like, um, is anybody like pizza? Also, if you like when you see Jesus, what did you say? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. We had some people accept the Lord today. Awesome. We don't have to do that. It's funny, I, I, I was speaking at, a, I spoke at a camp the last week, the last two weeks. I did four nights a week ago. I did two nights last week in San Onofre. It was a surf camp, and these kids like come from all walks of life. It's not like a youth group camp, but they go to a surf camp, but it's a Christian surf camp. We know the people who run it. So I've been speaking at this thing for forever. We used to take our youth there back in the day. And so um, I, I go out there and I speak the, the, the night the second night I was there, there's a bunch of kids there, and they're all kind of wild, you know, junior high, high school, they've been surfing all day, and they're tired. And I just laid out the gospel. I just mentioned this a little bit last week. Uh, and I was talking about the prodigal son, I was all that, the love of God. And I just was like, just gave it to it really, really straight. We just went through Luke 15. And it was like every hand raised to receive Jesus. Nothing fancy. No amplification. I'm sitting there on a chair in the dust. You know, there's a generator on to keep the lights on. You know, there's nothing fancy happening. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no nothing. But these kids just wanted to receive the good news of the gospel. That's all it took. And I was just like, I, and I got to be honest. Like, I'm like, I'm going to give them the story, the love of God, and I'm going to give an opportunity. See what happens. In my mind, we'd already had some kids raise their hand the night before about some other stuff. Like, they want to make decisions come, whatever. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to raise their hand. It was like everyone raised their hand. All their eyes were closed, too, so it wasn't like, he's doing it, me too, you know. It was like, it was amazing. And then I literally felt the transformation of these kids as the week went on. And th that's just the gospel. That's nothing you did. Like, you get no credit for that. You just, except for the fact that you brought to them what you're supposed to bring to them. And it's just the good, amazing news of the gospel. The gospel is not chained. It is powerful. I read in a commentary, I thought this was really interesting. It was out, out of a, 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 it was a magazine piece from um, this ministry group called Co-Mission. Um, and it's a story about uh, happened in Russia. Okay, in, in the 1930s, Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles and all believers. In Stavropol, Russia, this order was carried out with a vengeance. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated, and multitudes of believers were sent to the Gulags, uh, where many died for being enemies of the state. After the fall of communism, the missionary organization Co-Mission sent a team to, uh, to Stavropol. Uh, the city's history was not known to them at the time. When the team experienced difficulty getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, someone mentioned a warehouse outside of town where confiscated Bibles had been stored since St Stalin's day. After prayer, one member uh, got up the courage to go to the warehouse and ask the officials if the Bibles were still there. They were. They then asked if the Bibles could be removed and distributed again from people of Stavropol. The answer was yes. A truck was obtained, and several Russian people helped load the Bibles. One of the helpers was a young man, a skeptical, hostile, uh, agnostic collegian uh, who uh, had come only for a day, the day's wage. As they were loading Bibles, the young man disappeared. 
They found him in a corner of the warehouse weeping. He had slipped away, hoping to quietly take a Bible for himself. What he found shook him to the core. Inside the page of the Bible he picked up had the handwritten signature of his own grandmother. It had been her personal Bible. He had stolen the Bible, the very Bible that had belonged to his grandmother, a woman persecuted for her faith all her life. His grandmother had no doubt prayed for him and for her city. The word of God is not chained. God is not chained. So that's the thing. So this, this is where we, we got to be really, really careful because we see things around us that seem so out of control and we think, I must get everything in control. That is not your job. You are not strong enough. You are not big enough. But there is one who can do that and can use it for his glory. And we look back at so many times in our life where things were out of control, and we saw it was God was actually working in the midst of all of it. So we keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep on doing what we need to do, like the farmer. We keep planting, we keep sowing we, seeds, we keep watering seeds, we keep doing the hard work even without seeing results. The word of God is not chained. And so that's why we just go through the Bible. Like, that's it. You know, that's the Calvary Chapel thing, right? Straight through the Word. And as we do that, it's amazing. I'm, I'm always so... First of all, it's exhausting to come up with, like, a topical message every week, personally. Like, every time I, I'm like, we'll do a topical series on this, I'm like, I do not like doing this. Like, sometimes it's really good, and there's nothing wrong with people. Some, there's some great topical messages that can be a real blessing out there. And I think there's definitely points to it. But going straight through the Bible is saying, submitting to the Word of God, saying, I trust that what you have to say is for us today. That I don't have to manipulate it. They don't have to monitor it. So that's why we, we run into a rough section. By the way, there's been multiple weeks where I'm like, I'm going to skip this one. I don't know what to do with this right now. Especially, it's less like when it's controversial, because I'm like kind of okay with that. But it's like when it's like, I don't even know what to do with this. And there's something about battling with the scripture all week. And then I, I swear those are some of the very best weeks I have. Where it's like, oh, this was better than I thought. I couldn't see it before, but now I can. The word of God. We're going to get into this more. He's going to tell Timothy just how highly he thinks of the word of God. It's not chained. So have no fear, by the way. The word of God is not chained. God is on, it's like it's like Aslan's on the move, right? My of the wardrobe. I love that, right? God is moving, and we are we're we're there for that. Okay. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Suffering is worth it for the joy of seeing people receive salvation. That's what Paul said. He's like, I endure, I endure these things for the sake of the elect. And that's the idea of a soldier. Like, I will, I will put myself through pain to save them. I will, I will put my life on. And who does that sound like? You know what Christian means? Christ follower? Sounds like Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. We have opportunities daily to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And I, I, for one, will be the first to say, I don't do it enough. <laughs> Just like, I can't do it. I, can't do it. I don't want to. Uh. 
but we're called, we're called to endure all these things for the sake of the elect, for those who will be saved, right? The word elect kind of gets a little crazy because you go, wait, elect? So God, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. This is what our, one of my professors would say, Calvinian. <laughs> yes, is, a, is election in the Bible? Yes. Is free will in the Bible? Yes. Calvinian, okay? Uh, so everyone can not like you. Or like you at the same time. I don't call you non-committal. Uh, but the idea of the elect is that those who are set, God knows who they are. He knows who each person is that's going to receive salvation. And, and to me, the way this sounds, it means like there's there's something out there for us. Go get it. Um, I've talked before. I like gold mining shows, like you know, uh, Gold Rush, all you know, all these these shows. And uh, and they said. Money's in the ground. Go get it. You know, <laughs> it's all there. You just gotta go get it and go find it. But the person who said that lost all his money because he couldn't find it. Uh, it was one of the early seasons. But it's it's like there's like a, a thing where you go. They'll do this, especially do these test holes, and they'll go. There's good gold here. Now you've got to do all the hard work to go get it. And that's like our role. There is people. There's there's blessings that God has has waiting for us. There's a calling he has waiting for us, and there's people he has waiting for us to reach. We just gotta go get them. Walk it out. Be part of that. Now, is this us doing it? No, but it's us being faithful and disciplined to the call before us, watching God be the one to do it. So he wants to use us in partnership with him, which was always the plan from the beginning, to work in partnership with God. So, um, Verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we die with him, we shall also live with him. Dead to the old man, again, baptism, new life to come. This is the promise of the gospel. The gospel is not broken. If we don't see this, it's our side of the equation that's messed up. Like, the, the gospel is not broken. The message is not broken. The promises are not void. We are... We die with him, we live with him. We are now new in Jesus, right? Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. I now have a new life. I'm now, my life is now activated in faith. Newness, new person. Verse 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. So if we endure through trials, we will get to be partners in what he's doing. That's, that's like a, a picture of now and to come. Same with the first one. Like we're saved, we're resurrected, we're now in that, that new promise, inaugurated hope, but it's going to get better eventually. Even it's going to get complete later. We're in the process. We're there, but we're still in the mix with the world. So how do we do it? We reign with him through enduring trials. A lot of people run away when they, endure, when they hit trials. I think God is like, this has the biggest impact to, to forge a real relationship right now, trials. Go to Jesus with your hard stuff. Don't go anywhere else. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is a sobering thought. You know, and so we gotta, we gotta be thinking about that. How in, 
am I choosing my own over his? And we, when we go our own way, he allows that, right, to a certain extent. So it's sobering. Then verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is the rock we are founded on. He can't deny himself. Everything else is sinking sand. This is the unmovable promise of God. He, listen, this is really important to understand. We're almost done. I know this. I'm coming over again. Yay. Everything else is sinking sand. Everything, this is the unmovable promise of God. He doesn't act faithfully. He is faithful. That so we can act faithfully. We can respond. To, he just is faithful. Right? So he cannot deny himself. He can't not be faithful. So what does that tell us? We remember that the promises of God are yes and amen. He does not change. He does not fail. So this is what we align with. Everything else around us is sinking sand. To align with something that's sinking doesn't make any sense. You don't grab onto something, you know, when you're falling, you don't grab onto something that can't hold you. You want to grab onto something that can hold you and that can, that can sustain you. That's the rock. So we build our lives in alignment with allegiance on the rock. And when the storms come, this, which they will, and the rain beats down, we will stand because we've been founded on him, the one who's faithful. He will hold us and keep us. He will not lose us. He's not going to lose his grip on us. He's got us. As we experience this, we see God moving in our life. We see Him uh, changing the situation around us, or mostly, most of the time, changing us in the process. But we can take it to the bank. He's faithful. It's who He is. He can't not be faithful. So I hope this is encouraging to you. You know, I, I'm thinking about the power of God moving in our midst. The, the, the power of the gospel. We need a resurgence to go back to the gospel. We don't need anything else. We need to bring the hope of the gospel, uh, not just in word, but in the way we live. We need to believe it for ourselves. We need to trust and align our lives with him, uh, become soldiers, become um, athletes, become farmers, hard-working, aligned, striving to be winsome, win as many souls as possible. Reach as many people as possible without diluting the gospel, giving it as clearly and powerfully as possible, and then allowing God to, to do the rest. He promises he'll do it. And then allowing that gospel to not just be something we tell others, but to be lived out in our own life. And so we go, yeah, God saved me, but not from that stuff. No, no, no. He wants to save you from that stuff. So long, it's not, it's not I live, but Christ lives in me. He's faithful to me. We die, we rise. Again, transformation. Radical transformation in our own lives will lead to radical transformation to lives around us. So it all starts with us looking to the Lord and trusting Him fully in the finished work of the cross. Jesus died, rose again, uh, according to scriptures, and that he's now ascended into heaven, and we get to just become his partners and share this with the world. Let's pray.